0: Well, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the most important person in the game, the Dungeon Master, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players at your table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And today, we are talking about everybody's favorite thing, Pokemon, well... (laughs) Kind of. We're talking (laughs) about something similar to Pokemon, how to battle monsters within your world and how you might be able to possibly incorporate this style of gaming into your Dungeons &
1: Dragons world. And to join us to do that is Greg Leatherman from the podcast dungeons and Dragonite. so he is an expert on pokemon and using monsters to do battle in a D game
0: but before we do that we have some five star reviews from itunes that deserve a good shout out
1: so mitch why don't you tell us what our first one is our first review comes from dj 2021 and it's entitled valuable resource five stars when i first started dming i had scourged the internet finding as many resources as possible to make sure the story and game did not fall on its face. This podcast, without a doubt, was just as valuable as the Dungeon Master's Guide and Player's Handbook. Ah, thanks. Most D&D-related podcasts will focus on just the game, while here we find the focus on bringing the games to life, what makes them breathe, and the hours of thought and crafting that goes into each minute of actual play. The storytime podcasts are fun. DMnastics are thought provoking. But as a new DM, the best that I have found are when they focused on the classes, races and monsters. Hoping for more soon. Keep it up. Can't wait to see what comes out of the boiler next. So thank you so much, DJ 2021. That was an awesome review. We really appreciate it. And you're,
0: you're kind of getting a little preview of some monster stuff today. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. you're kind of getting your wish.
1: This is and out of the boiler. We did not plan that at all. Yeah, Fresh right. out of the boiler.
0: Fresh out of the boiler. Our next one comes from Asdhf, or A-S-D-H-F. <laughs> uh, this podcast is the phylactery that keeps my creative lich alive. The DMnastics and Daily DMnastics provide endless thought-provoking content to keep your creativity up. I hope to be a great DM one day, and this podcast has made me think I someday may. Keep up the great work. So thank you so much, as hoof or thank ASDF. You. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but thank you so much for your five-star review today.
1: And with that, let's head to the meet to talk about fighting and battling with monsters. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. <laughs> Why can't we have some meats? Looks like
2: meat's back on the
0: menu, boys!
1: So for the meat today, like we said, we are going to be discussing the idea of battle monsters. Using monsters in a setting, in a world, where you can use them to do battle. Very much like Pokemon. And so, to join us in this discussion is none other than Greg Leatherman, the DM of Dungeons & Dragonites, a Pokemon-inspired D&D game streamed live on Twitch and available in podcast form on iTunes. Dungeons & Dragonites is a Pokemon Cast production. Greg, welcome so much to the show.
2: Sure, well thanks for having me in today. Great to be here Should
1: be a fun time. It will be a fun time, Greg. And could you just start off the show by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, An introduction of myself.
2: I've been playing role-playing games of all types uh, for most of my life. Uh, I started way, way, way back when I was much younger. Uh, My cousin introduced me into the world. Uh, Actually through Gamma World and and not Dungeons & Dragons like most people who were around in the 80s. Um, But that was my first one when I was nine. uh, And then I have been playing pretty much ever since.
1: Gamma World is awesome.
2: (laughs) Yes. uh, We didn't survive... As you don't in Gamma World, that was my first introduction. Was everybody dies in role playing
1: games? It's a it's a great introduction to role playing games and quite a ridiculous introduction to role playing games, all wrapped up into one. (laughs) So, can you tell us uh, and the listeners who may not Mm -hmm. know and have may not heard of your podcast, just a little bit about Dungeons and Dragonites?
2: Sure. So Dungeons and Dragonites is sort of an offshoot of the It's Super Effective podcast. So It's Super Effective is a Pokemon podcast that comes out pretty much weekly. It's been going on for six years, and I've been a big, huge fan of theirs. And so I, I worked uh, an arrangement with the head host, SBJ, to sort of meet a uh, need of mine, which is to run a Pokemon uh, Dungeon and Dragons world and to sort of meet A meet of his and his friends, which is they've never played Dungeons and Dragons before. So we kind of got together and said, I want to do this, you want to do this, let's make this work. And so I've created a Dungeons and Dragons adventure campaign that's set in uh, the world of Pokemon. So people who have played the games... Um, especially the most recent games X and Y, it refers back to things that happened 3,000 years in the past. So I've set things back to that time frame. So it's exploring what happened 3,000 years in the past and sort of what is leading up to where they are in the games.
1: Awesome. And what was it that actually started your journey as a DM? Like what got you to step behind that DM screen, as it were? I think with a lot
2: of people... the first thing that got me into DMing was somebody needed to run a game if we were going to (laughs) play and so that ended up being me so I've been DMing for various groups of my friends for about 20-21 years um, simply because I had all the stuff I've read all the rules and that sort of started out and then I got that sort of bug of I'm going to make worlds and I want to create settings and I want to create things and then that world building and story building just sort of just naturally leads me into I'm going to run you guys through this world. And so I've been a DM for a very very long time. I love world building and sort of being able to take my other huge fandom, which is Pokemon, which I know a lot about and say I want to make a campaign world where this is real. This is they have to interact with these things and and explore that through dungeons and dragons kind of combining the two which was a huge success for me
1: that's awesome when did you start to become in love with pokemon was it immediately as soon as the first games came out
2: yeah it was pretty much immediate uh i bought uh blue to go play while waiting in line for star wars tickets for the re-release
1: <laughs> yep same uh way time. back that's in
2: awesome. my-
0: Yeah, ninety-eight. Should have bought red. (laughs) I think it was, was and I was like,
2: "Well, I want something. I like RPGs. I've been seeing ads for this around. I'm just gonna get it, and I'll see if I like it. If not, whatever. It's not that big of a deal." And uh, I didn't. (laughs) I popped it in, started up. I didn't stop playing the entire time i was in that line i didn't talk to anybody uh, <laughs> people came up were like oh can we borrow that can we play and i was like yeah yeah when i'm done and i never finished it's like, <laughs> still going um, that's so awesome it was almost immediately that i was like this is this is my game you were this is like the game that i've been waiting for
0: and what we know about episode one you probably could have just kept playing through the whole entirety of the first movie so <laughs>
2: accurate
1: <laughs> and how long did it take before you decided i want to dm a a world with pokemon was it like the beginning of this podcast or was it long before that
2: um it was long before that it was probably by about the third games came out for uh pokemon so ruby sapphire emerald they themselves really started to sort of explore what was happening in the world sort of what everything worked with and that sort of started to key into my brain like how could you make this into a role-playing game Like, I want more choices. I want to be able to do more things. I want to be able to have more effect on the world than what I'm allowed in this sort of set game. And the games are great, and they tell great stories, but what can you do beyond that? And that's sort of when it sort of fell into my brain that I wanted to do this. Um, And then sort of just percolating what all of that meant. i have probably been sitting before I actually got to play with it. It's probably been sitting in my brain for 10 years, just sort of on and off. Like what could you do? What system would be good? Uh, how would you make that work?
1: So Greg, we have for you, like we do with all of our guests, a surprise question. Hopefully it doesn't throw you off too much, but here's our surprise question for you. If you could take one D and D monster and officially make a Pokemon that was put into Pokemon games that was based off of that d and monster, what would that d and monster be and what would their Pokemon name be?
2: Ooh. Oh, there's so many good choices. <laughs> I mean, the things that fit immediately, like, okay, let's explore the gelatinous cube Ooh, idea. yeah, mm, yeah. Um, and what that becomes. So do you go poison type, poison psychic type? I mean, that's sort of like the iconic invisible mm-hmm. monster that kills everybody. Yeah. Um, and that sort of just sort of ambient cube is like the <laughs> base level of how you make a Pokemon. Just make a cube and give it right. a name. But now that they've introduced fairy types, honestly, mm-hmm. I would love to see uh, like a pseudo dragon put mm-hmm. in, like a poison fairy pseudo dragon huh. in the game. Probably like. A mid-evolution stage, one of the in-between stages. It could go into something much bigger, come from something much smaller, hmm. but combine uh, a poison fairy type for its stinger. Oh, nice. names, names! I'm so bad with names. I mean, Pseudo <laughs> right, PokemonNameGenerator.com. Where is it when we need it? <laughs> like Pseudo already a great name.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's it hard a to good be name. that name. That sounds like a good cop-out. You can take that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. That sounds like a sweet Pokemon. Let's see it made into a game. Come on, Nintendo. You should be listening. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Greg, let's uh, start talking about what we wanted you to come on and talk about today. So uh, you run a whole podcast where you've taken the world of Pokemon and you've made it into a D&D adventure. Uh, today we're going to talk about something pretty similar. We're going to be talking about how we as DMs who... Many of us do love this idea of Pokemon. I mean, Pokemon has been popular throughout the years, uh, and it's had, if you can say, another resurgence with Pokemon Go going on right now. But there's been all these other things as well that, have been like monster type battles like Digimon, Monster Rancher, Yu-Gi-Oh! Like even mon- Magic the Gathering is a lot of monsters doing battle. And so today we want to talk about the idea of building a and d world where monsters doing battle over people doing battles so no longer do you have two warriors meeting on a battlefield but you have two people with these awesome monsters that are their companions somehow doing battle to settle disputes to win battles Uh, we want to talk about a world like that and how you can dm for a world like that but first let's let's just talk about this whole idea like our culture has this love for monster battles, whether it's Pokemon, Pokemon's huge, Digimon, Monster Rancher, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering. Why is it that we, as a culture, seem to gravitate towards this idea of these worlds where monsters are companions and we're able to use them in battle?
2: Well, I think how many games throughout the world have had a pet class of some mm-hmm. sort? I like access to a pet. Is something many of us already have built into us. We have that sort of instinctual, here's this animal, here is this sort of pure creature that is in some ways very simplistic and sort of like a more honest version of what we get from each other. And here's the thing going to be not only my companion, but it's also going to be able to protect me. And, and that is something, I think, that is just inbred into our culture. I mean, we, we did it with, you know, wolves. The very tame wolves became our dogs, and that fundamentally yeah. changed how we interacted with the world. You know, we domesticated sort of cats. We keep birds. <laughs> we keep all sorts of things for that companionship that I think is very unique to our DNA. And then taking that a step further, if you take the sort of constant threat of violence that an RPG setting has, you know, where you're out on your own and you need somebody that you can 100% rely on, we all turn to some sort of pet. Like, I have this faithful hound that will always protect me and won't betray me. That's sort of the basic of how we sort of look at the world. So the idea that we can get a whole wide variety of monsters... And these monsters have fantastic superpowers, but also treat us as loyal friends and companions and won't desert us. That's a very powerful part of our makeup. That is just pure, let's take the dog, have it shoot flame while it's flying, and it will love me just like a dog does. It's hard to say no to that.
1: Even like in older versions of D&D, I know for me the the biggest appeal of say the ranger class was always that you got an Awesome animal companion to go along with you. Uh, with the wizard class, you had a familiar that, as you leveled up, it would be able to use more powers. It would get stronger, and it would even get to the point where where it was able to talk to you. And I know for me, like playing as a player in D anD D, that whole idea of having an animal companion built into a class was just such a strong pull to play that class and so i think that just definitely echoes everything you just said i know for me
0: too like i remember when those games first came out and we were not a pet family at all we we never (laughs) other than other than hamsters which i'm not really sure you can call those pets or just infestations i'm not quite sure at this point but i remember (laughs) after pokemon came out that was about the stage and i don't know if there was a you know deep subconscious thing that changed in me but like you were talking about greg there's that sort of companionship that we really really want from animals my brother and i we we started wanting a little dog like that's what we wanted and we begged our parents we were like we'll take care of it we promise we'll feed it we'll walk it we'll take care of it when it goes to the bathroom and they said no and so We ended up trying to actually make Pokemon a reality. I remember Meyer had these little like actual size Pokeballs and we would run around in our woods and try to catch squirrels by throwing the ball at them because we were just (laughs) hoping that we could catch Pokemon because that was such a cool idea. And I think that animal companionship that you were talking about, Mitch, from D&D also helped strike at that for me. And Greg, what you were talking about in real life, like I still don't really want pets, but I have a newfound respect for people that do have pets because it's that companionship that you can get from an animal that you might not be able to be able to otherwise get from anything else
2: and like pokemon is the ideal version when you don't want to deal with it you just send it (laughs) off to its own home world yep right you put it you put (laughs) it in a computer for a little while yeah you don't have to worry about feeding it or cleaning up after it if it gets out of control you're just like come on back
0: (laughs) yep don't need you right now (laughs) or you can drop it off at a daycare and level it up it's fantastic yeah (laughs)
1: All the fun, none exactly. of the work. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> this whole idea of playing a and d game where everyone gets an animal companion or a even cooler, a monster companion is really appealing to me. And I'm sure it's appealing to a lot of the listeners as well. So I think a question that a lot of our listeners who are making their own homebrew worlds or their own homebrew stories is uh, how do I make sense of that in my world? How do I make it a world where I can have these people who use monsters in battle over using their own skill set so what what can we do to make like a world that that makes sense in a world like pokemon or any of the other types of monster battles that we've talked about
2: so the way we sort of approach monsters in general is they are creatures that are invading our territories and that sort of natural instinct is to say okay we are going to fight back at them and we're going to sort of just wipe them out that's like your standard dungeon crawl it's littered with monsters they are the opposition and sort of what i had to do when i was making this world was think of okay so what if you had a world where these creatures started showing up and they were initially hostile but you also quickly realized that they were very open to being tamed Hmm. and sort of how i took that in my world is what would happen if when a a wizard did his first familiar summoner, and this strange monster showed up. How would that interact with that world? So, when they finally looked at these creatures and saw, okay, you're not actually monsters, you're closer to the beasts that we're used to, you're closer to horses, you just can do a lot more, but you're just as willing and intelligent to enter into a sort of contract with us. And how does that change the world when they stop seeing brands of monsters as just automatic enemies and brands of monsters as, okay, is this something I could potentially work with? Is this something that I could get to work on my side? What do I need to do to make that happen? Is it a summoning spell? Do they take place of in summoning rituals when you conjure forth creatures? Did these start coming instead? What is the why did that start happening? How did that come around? And that's sort of what I've been exploring a little bit in in my world is, you know, these weren't native creatures. They came from somewhere, but they seemed much more willing to interact with PC races, whatever they are, in a not entirely threatening way. They'll still be threatening and they'll still attack, but there's that sort of extra element if you look at it and say, Okay, well what if they had more reactions than just attack
0: and something that might take a while if you have a pretty standard D group that has that mindset of monsters are meant to be wiped off the face of the earth i think the idea of cohabitation is a big thing too because i you know i watched i watched pokemon and my my roommate and i in college watched a lot of it and and i noticed that there was always this sort of relationship like you were talking about greg where they just kind of accepted the fact that each other were there they never really harmed each other other than maybe Mewtwo, but that was because he was genetically mutated and tested on and things like that but for the most part pokemon weren't really creatures that wanted to harm human beings there wasn't this instinct that when we see humans we have to run away at least for some pokemon some yeah. of the smaller ones did but I think the idea of cohabitation and knowing that each other share the world is a good way to approach, but it may take time for older players who have been in that mindset that monsters are just meant to be slain. Uh, Might take a little while to get over. And
1: you're going to have differing opinions in the world. Like, even in Pokemon, you see... uh, I mean, that's the whole thing we see with in the show, like, Ash versus Gary. Gary seems to use his Pokemon as tools to get what he wants. Ash, we see... Seizes Pokemon as friends. We see him like release them into the wild when he feels like that's the better thing to do. We see the difference of like friendship and using them as purely almost like a a, a cockfight in a in yeah. a sense that it's just like it's just to make me me better and to make me stronger and or for wealth or whatever it is, there can and there will be, in a world like that, very differing opinions on how you go about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the video games, the world is not safe. I mean, the first yeah, thing you know right. is every character is you don't go into the tall grass, you will be attacked unless you have another creature that can defend you. And I kind of looked at that idea of, you know, how would a society change if you had monsters... That had this inclination to attack, but were willing to fight each other in sort of gladiatorial matches that didn't end up in death. It was just a superiority match. And that's how amongst those monster creatures, they sorted themselves out. So if they had that sort of battle system built up for themselves, where they protected their territory, they did all those things, and then you inject humans in there. How do humans interact with that? They you know, if they already saw these creatures are willing to fight each other, and if if they work with us, we're able to tap into that gladiatorial nature that they've already have in their society and protect ourselves. I think one of the big things that's sort of the hidden message behind Pokemon is the idea of working with the things that are in your environment, not against them like it could be a very different game it could be a standard rpg where all these monsters are invading it's dangerous to go in the tall grass and you have to do everything to protect yourself and pokemon takes a different task to say if you adopt these creatures if you work with them you still have to deal with their negative or violence or what have you but it doesn't end up in death it doesn't end up in absolute chaos. It can like team rocket is absolute tools that help create chaos. All the evil teams are sort of the flip side of that equation where they are using these tools to create chaos versus what you're doing, which is to try to just work in harmony with them. But there's still that level of these things existed and have their own unique culture. And then we're entering into that culture and adopting what they do to suit our needs to make the world safer.
1: Yeah, it's mutualism at its finest. Yeah. What you're talking about. I mean yeah. it's
0: perfectly
2: idealized because right. it's a game.
1: And so so far we've mentioned the idea of like gladiator type battles and things like that. And I think Going off of the inspiration from Pokemon, I mean, that leads us to, in my mind, a world where, I mean, all of the D&D worlds that I've played in have, like, coliseums where you go to and you can watch gladiators. And a lot of times you have gladiators fighting monsters to prove their worth. But in this type of world, you could have literal coliseums that were all about having these monsters battle and taking this whole idea of Pokemon gyms and bringing them into a world where monsters are battling and having, having quote unquote gyms where monsters, and you can take your companion monsters to go and to prove themselves and to show their worth. You could even implement a, a badge type system into your own world.
2: Yeah. I mean that, that whole gladiator system, I mean, it's built off of what we already have. You win favors, you get the, you know, today we have boxing, you get, You know, wrestling, you get belts, you get things. This is the proof of how great you are. Yep. Right. It's just substituting something else so that we feel safer. You go out there and fight, (laughs) and I will sit back here and show the world how well I've been able to train you.
1: And so, what about the idea as well about capturing these monsters? So, in Pokemon, they have these uh, Pokeballs that capture the monsters, and there's this all the science behind it about how the reflectors inside the balls turn the Pokemon to light, their energy into light, and hold them inside these Pokeballs. But if we're playing in a and d world where there aren't Pokeballs, uh, what are the ways that, in your guys' mind, that in the lore, these people go out and they capture these monsters that are running about to be able to use them?
2: I mean, in a and d world, you have... A million different pocket dimensions that everybody uses I mean you you go into a magic hut and you're somewhere else you climb up a rope and you're somewhere else this is in my mind there's one of the easier ways is an alteration of the fine familiar spell you basically said I'm going to bind you to me and then you're gonna get your own happy pocket home and when I need you I will summon you out like I would a familiar only the relationship is much deeper um, because they can do a lot more. But it's still that sort of idea that I I find you, I go through XYZ ritual or spell or actions or items that create this bond that allows us to interact, and then how you deal with once what happens with that bond is up to you. I mean, it, it just could be that they hang out behind you and follow you around until you need them, and they don't hurt anybody, and everybody sort of recognizes either by a magic glow on them or a mystic collar or tags or whatever, that this is a safe animal under your control. Or it's like, you know, a Pokeball. You have an object that they are drawn into, and that's sort of like a totem or a fetish of some sort that you use to summon them back out.
1: I like that idea of the pocket dimensions and spells being used a lot. And that, to me, brings about an interesting question of if you're going to create a world like this, of a question that needs to be answered, is it only wizards and magic users that are the ones that are able to participate in this capturing of monsters? Because it is a spell that you use to capture these monsters? Or has there been, like, artificers or wizards that have made items that are now available to the public that can use this spell upon use, just like a pokeball. Uh, I think it'd be interesting with either case, like a world where only magic users are able to become "quote unquote" these monster trainers, or is it could go? You could go as simplistic as how do you capture these monsters? Well, you go out into the wilderness and you use a net, and it's all about training li- them like you would a wild animal. And until you uh, are able to get some animals that are like the weaker and Easier to catch that you can start building yourself up. Like nobody's going to go out into the wild with a net and capture a beholder because the beholder is going to rip them to shreds.
2: Yeah, I mean, this the way I sort of viewed it is, you know, what if everybody could learn one simple spell? Yeah, like all you have to do is you know how to say X Y Z and draw X Y Z ruins or runes, and then bam, you have the spell. Like that easy access. Could easily go to, like anybody who wants to spend the time to learn one thing could do this. It sort of was where I went with my version of the tamer, that anybody in the world, all they have to do is actually go in, sit with somebody who knows how to do it, sit down, learn how to do this one ritual, and then spends the rest of their life learning how to interact with the animals because they know. I have this, I, this is what I do to bond them to me. So you can make it as as big as you want, or you can say easily, it's so complicated to bind these things that only select classes yeah. like wizards, know, have the patience and study and know how to do it. The flip side of it is, is it becomes the tough thing for balance. Because if they're a full-fledged class on their own, then it becomes a little bit more difficult to say, okay, how do I balance this creature against an already fleshed out class? Because you don't want the class to suffer because they also have this creature.
1: Yes. It would be interesting because you you have that option of everyone is able to use it, which is, I believe, is very much the Pokemon world's like idea of like anybody could go out and become a Pokemon trainer. And there's something beautiful to that, like being able to go, like anybody could pursue this, anybody can do this. And then the flip side of it is going, no, only specific people can do it. And even if you think of it in the sense of like, sorcerers where people are born with this power rather than like they learn it, it leads to this idea of only certain people in this world will ever be able to do this. And so what happens if you're born with this power like, are you seen as like a higher class of person? Do people treat you differently because you have been born with this magical ability to capture and summon monsters? If you have this power and you're born with it and you don't want to become a monster trainer, do people look down on you upon for that and are like, you've been born with this awesome power Why would you not want to become a monster trainer? Like, how how dare you, like, let your your gifts go to waste? It would lead to a whole... There's two different worlds there and two different, like, perspectives to explore. And both of them are really interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's the Digimon versus Pokemon aesthetic. You know, Digimon with their Digi-destined. Only these people are destined to do this. And if they turn away from that destiny... What are they doing to the world? I mean, yeah. there's a threat that they can only they can take care of, and they're turning away from it. And that's a very interesting and unique and great story. Versus everybody can do it. How does the world change when everybody has access to these creatures? Uh, and is it a big deal if somebody says, "No, I don't want to do that. I, I don't see that as right," or it, it doesn't? I want to pursue sailing instead. You know. And it's also sort of how ubiquitous are these creatures in the world. You know, if somebody was destined and born with the power, but, you know, you run into them once every year, then nobody's going to care. But if it's a constant threat, to turn away from that is such a huge and interesting choice. They're both very, very rich worlds.
0: Yeah, I, I keep thinking in my mind about, you know, the fact that everybody could have them. And I wonder if it's like, You know, as I'm thinking about possibly implementing this into my own world, could I set up some sort of, you know, martial arts style, you climb up the ladder, you have to test for a new belt type thing? Like, yeah, everybody can do it, but it's one of those things, like, are you content with just catching mice? Well, that's great. You'll only ever catch mice, but if you want to move up higher in the world in this sort of system... You have to come back and you have to test again to see if you can go up to the next level, learn how to harness those types of things, practice doing that when you're ready. When you've done it for a while, come back and test again and you can go up higher in the ranks and it kind of just prevents from anybody being at any level at any sort of time. Yeah, I think like what you said, Greg, there's a lot of richness to be had in both sides of that, whether it's, you know, going the route of the Digidestin side or going the route of Pokemon where it's kind of, you know, anybody can do it.
1: And I think one thing that interests me with this whole idea of the spell casting to be able to capture these monsters is in my mind, there's a pretty simple like homebrew system that I'm sure you could set up with capturing those monsters that it's about using a spell and it's a, it's a wisdom save or whatever it is versus that creature you are trying to capture, or maybe what it is, it's a, The creature gets to make a save that's based off of his highest ability score. So like the stronger creatures are trying to escape using their strength, the more agile are trying to use their dexterity, whatever it is. And then as you use other monsters to bring their health down, maybe that DC gets a little bit easier for you to accomplish for you to capture them and so it's just it maybe that spell doesn't work every single time but you have to be able to use it and you have to be able to pass a check to be able to capture it because the whole idea of i use i cast a spell and i capture any monster seems crazy and ridiculous and overpowered so there has to be a level there
2: my way around that what i did is if they ever want to capture something they have to make an animal handling check based off of the dc is the Creature's current hit points. So they have to wear it down to a point where they think I have a good shot of passing this animal handling check. And nice. that sort of puts a cap also on the level that they can yeah. get. You know, if you have something that's got 50 hit points, you're never going to make that check off the top of your head. You're just not. Even, yep. You might crit a 1 in a 20 chance, but that's not very likely and that thing might get very angry and yeah, you're putting yourself the ground. in
1: a lot of danger for that that small chance of maybe that happening.
2: Yeah, and so and also keeping in sort of uh, the theme of monster hunting, um you I, I made it sure that you can't capture something that is unconscious. Because I think the idea that this creature, by making this animal handling check, is consenting to go on this journey with you, and consent can't be given when they're unconscious. That was sort of a very important aspect for me to, to sort of include and say, you can't do this if they can't interact with you. If you've brought it to zero, then you can no longer perform that ritual. You can't make an animal handling check against that creature. It can't become a willing participant anymore in what you're doing. You have to be able to have the fine-tuning to lower its hit points to a point where you think you can make the check, you've proven your strength to the creature um, without knocking it unconscious.
1: So let's talk about how, as a DM, we run a game with this type of lore, with this type of world, and how we allow our PCs to use to choose what kind of monsters they're going to be using. And so I really want to hear, especially from you, Greg, on this. I know that from your podcast, I know that at least one of your PCs, from my memory, starts off with a Pokemon in his control, the Farfetch. How did you give that Farfetch to that player? Was it based off of a monster in the Monster Manual? Was it homebrewed? Was it based off of a challenge rating? Like, how did you go about going, here you go, take this creature at, I'm assuming you started at level one or whatever base level you started at. How did you go about that?
2: So the answer is yes to everything that you said. So <laughs> the idea is you're putting more hit points on the field without having more attack. And more hit points on the field is a problem. So to kind of look at how I sort of approached that problem was, okay, so what is a good amount of health for a first level character that I can divide up among <coughs> these two creatures. And then sort of where is that my starting base within the CR levels. And that's sort of where I came across um, the first, anybody who starts out at level one, the CR is only one-eighth. So it's one-eighth or lower, that's the creature that you get. And anybody who starts as a Tamer class, for whatever, however they got their first Pokemon, is up to you. So SBJ chose Farfetch'd as his first, and so I worked with him, sort of, what do you think Farfetch'd is like, and then I went to the existing sort of database, sort of looked at everything that Farfetch'd can do, read about it, read about its attacks and games, and then came up with what was sort of, here's a unique set of skills that this one creature can do, Um, and then I used the Monster Manual's creature levels, how to build your own monster, and sort of just created... Uh, looking at the two. If you look at the Monster Manual in 5e and the, Mo- the DM guide, you see that there's two completely different design philosophies that work on how to make monsters. The monsters in the Monster Manual are very much more glass cannons. They have a lot less hit points, but do a lot more damage than the guidelines that they give in the DM guide. Right. The DM guide, they have a lot more hit points, but they do a lot less damage. And so I sort of looked at both of those read through the Monster Manual, looked at all, okay, well, what is a, What is typical for a 1/8 CR creature, and then just sort of came up with how to make that work, how to, how to create something that's fun for them to use that doesn't break the game at level 1, that's not too many hit points, the field, that's not going to do too much damage. And then I also read all the rules on what are the levels for druids transforming and what are all the summoning spells for Wizards and try to just create a place in there, um, keeping in mind that this class's main focus was on the monster. So it had to be a little bit tougher than what you could summon, but couldn't sort of outshow all the other classes. From there, at each level, as a tamer goes up, the the CR levels of their Pokemon will change, and then I have a max. I think I let them max out to a CR creature five.
1: So when you have your PCs in this world come across new, and in your world it's Pokemon, but in let's let's say it's like monsters and things like that, uh, I'm sure that a lot of it, and you are you're very knowledge- knowledgeable about the world of Pokemon and the regions, is the creatures they come across. Is it region? region specific like based off of like the regions they come across in the wild like they're gonna if they're in a snow covered land they're gonna find ice type pokemon and that kind of thing um it's somewhat region
2: based Uh, i tend to lean more towards uh terrain based they're in a cave what what are you gonna find in this cave what kind of pokemon would you naturally find in a cave and what are they doing doing there all the time
0: that's it. Zubats, Geodudes, and Zubats. Geodudes Zubats. and Zubats. Oh, totally Geodudes and Zubats.
2: <laughs> I avoided the Geodude and Zubat trap, although they were in the game. They just never run across. There's a random
0: encounter table, and 95% of the time, you're going to find a Geodude or a Zubat. <laughs>
2: Roll a percentile dice. 1 through 99 is a Zubat.
0: 100 is a Geodude.
2: Yeah. But yeah, so I, I I approach it as what makes sense in this terrain. Also with the sort of asterisk that if somebody really wants something, like if the player really has an idea for their character and they really want XYZ monster, we can find a way to make that work. We can find a way that somehow you come across this creature. Was it kidnapped? Was it poachers? Was it lost? Is it just there's a pocket that it found a home in? You know if there's something they really really want you can make it work but generally i go with what makes sense for the terrain they're in how remote is it what would be this creature's habitat why would they be there and and let that guide my design choices
0: yeah i mean it's kind of the idea of you know if you go into a port city too like there or or you're in a really rich land it's not uncommon to find exotic animals in people's homes because they have the money to afford them. So is it that sort of thing, too, where you're in a port city and you can either trade or you can, you know, are Pokemon in your world or your beasts in your world, are they able to be bought, tamed? Are they, you know, there's there's a, an endless number of things you could do with that to, you know, help players find a specific type of monster that they're looking for. They might just have to pay for it in really, really expensive ways. And just that- like any item you, right, you, you yeah. probably That's find it, but you're going to have to pay for it somehow. Right, Exactly.
1: And that really interests me, Chris, what you were saying, too, is the, like, type, because in Pokemon, uh, a lot of times, uh, especially with the gyms, you'll come across, uh, like you were saying, a port city, and the gym there will be a water gym. And so when you go up against the Pokemon gym trainer, it's, like, all water-type Pokemon. So you, of course, want to go in with your specific type. You want to bring in electric-type Pokemon so that you can do better damage uh, to them and knowing their weakness. But I love the idea of a world where you capture monsters and like some monster trainers will try to just capture all different types, but some will go, no, no, no. I am a this type trainer. And so you could have a monster trainer who is specializes in capturing dragon types. You can have a monster trainer who specializes in specializes in capturing fiends or constructs like an like a artificer type monster trainer sounds awesome to me or even like giants or monstrosities like those like just that idea is just so awesome to me going along with the D type kind of monsters and just saying you have a trainer that specializes in these types of monsters just sounds awesome.
2: What if Rangers were much more specialized? Yeah. What if what if a Ranger took its favorite type and instead of that it's really good at hunting those, yes. it's really good at hunting and capturing those. That would be awesome. You know, what is and that I, I used Ranger a lot. As my influence, as okay, so they don't have. Let's, if we strip out the magic and just make them great hunters and trackers, how does that inform who, what this tamer is? You know, in, I, I'm great on the coast, and so therefore I'm great at all water and coastal type, and I know how to find them, and I know how to train them, and I'm really good at training them, and what benefits does that specific knowledge give
1: me? So, Greg, you mentioned a little bit about upgrading the challenge rating of your uh, the Pokemon in your game when they start to level up. Is there, in a, in a world where monsters are used to do battle, is there multiple ways that you can upgrade your monsters, that you can level them up, that you could even take this idea from Pokemon of evolving them? What are some ways that, as DMs, we can have this be a part of our world and system?
2: I mean, so the world, like, for D&D, the idea, evolution isn't built in there simply because the idea is that you're not keeping them around, but you yeah. can you can find hints of it. Goblin tribes, so a goblin to a bugbear to a hobgoblin, yes. what does that look like? How do they get there? Is it that amongst goblin cultures, ex-goblins are chosen to go through a sacred rite and are granted divine powers that transform them into a bugbear or transform them into a hobgoblin. Is it that, sort of like in my world, that if you don't kill them and you work with them, allow them, uh, could they have always done this and nobody ever found out because they just have never tried to keep them alive? And now that they're discovering if you keep them around, if you nurture them, care for them, grow with them, that as they grow, they naturally change and become something different. They gain more power. They they level up just like player characters. Player characters stay alive, go on a bunch of adventures. You've not ever done that with monsters. So if you do that with monsters, these monsters also level up and change.
1: Could a hill giant be the monster version of like an Eevee that some way you can make it turn into an ice giant or a fire giant or a storm giant and it's all based of how you do that. Maybe you find an item to be able to do that uh, to change that hill giant into those types of creatures. I think there's a lot of options there. Dragons obviously are an easy one because the monster manual gives us a a young dragon, a juvenile dragon. So that an ancient dragon, it's an easy way to look at it and say as they level up, they're going to become super super strong.
0: Or maybe you start out with dragons just being complete I mean they're just a blank dragon and you have to get some sort of firestone or yeah. you know what like the Eevee idea like too the and, Eevee then they, idea. and then they start progressing through that line of evolution as well. Do you well.
2: have to spend a lot of time with them in a certain terrain? Yeah. You know, do you have to spend months in a swamp to make them acclimate to swamp and become a black dragon. Do you and, take them up into snow? Do you take them, you know, into fiery layers? You know, is it is it location based that they are going to react and change to the stimulus that you give them or is it a ritual or a stone or an item? I mean, there's a ton of different ways. And and does it vary monster to monster. Yeah. Um, even eevee's don't evolve by stone you know there's eight right. forms of eevees and they all change in different ways according yep. to how you treat that that pokemon
1: and it makes a lot of sense because young dragons like baby dragons they don't have a breath attack so you can pretty much almost take any like young dragon and say all right it's a it's a normal dragon type And then when you train it or when you use an item or when you use magic or whatever it is, you can say now it has the breath attack for fire, for acid, whatever it is. And its skin starts to, its scales start to change into the color and whatever it is. There's other ways to, like, level up creatures as well. I thought of, like, obviously armor. Just, like can buy armor for your creatures or I mean even even some Pokemon in the game, like when they evolve, it some of them look like they're wearing different types of armor i mean blast toys evolves and he has two cannons that come out of his shell maybe the armor is an evolution state that happens as your characters start to level up and so does your monsters
0: or is there a whole market for finding yep you know like proteins or rare candies or you know whatever different items that berries that you can feed them to help give them different stats and things like that too i think there's a lot of possibilities that players could you know almost become Alchemists, while they're out there too, creating concoctions and testing them, uh, you know, on their creatures to see what sort of things happen when they feed them, you know, this mixture of protein and iron. Do they get super strong and buff from that? Do they like just not really? I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things that you could do within the world to help. PED your creatures up if you want to call it that sort of thing yeah
1: in the game of Pokemon you're able to teach different kinds of attacks to certain types of Pokemon you could take that very same idea and you could take scroll the scroll idea that wizards can learn from scrolls and you could have something along those lines of you can teach your monsters different types of spells and so you can have an orc that now is able to cast lightning bolt or something along those lines and And it it adds a lot of flavor that might not be there to some monsters and makes them special and unique and just adds this cool element to using monsters in battle. The last idea that I had for that upgrading and evolving is that maybe there's a, and maybe it's different with each monster because some monsters are able to do this from the monster manual in general, but maybe there is an upgrading or an evolving state in which your monster starts to learn language. And so you are able to even communicate with this creature. And as DM, if that's something we're going to allow, we need to be prepared to be able to role play for those monsters, uh, those companions of these creatures, uh, of these characters that are running around and using them in this world to do battle, to train. Yeah, and
2: what does that relationship look like?
1: Yeah, (laughs) When
2: your dog can talk to you, yeah <laughs> what kind of person were you that level of relationship adding that in there is is a very unique sort of tact uh and one one that i think is ripe with a lot of potential and sort of exploring like what do you do if the person that you're partnered up with is this absolute jerk to you how does that play out you know we they they t- Touch on it some, you know, what happens when you get a sentient weapon that is a different alignment of you. You know, you are in this antagonistic relationship, uh, but you still have to work together. And that, that there's a lot there that can be explored that's really unique and interesting. What does that look like? How yeah. do you do that? Um, I found myself having to speak for a lot of Pokemon that I did not expect to have to do while running this campaign.
1: <laughs> so, Greg, we want to thank you so much for joining us on our podcast, for talking about this idea of battle monsters and capturing monsters and just bringing uh, your wisdom, your knowledge of the Pokemon world, of running a and d game where that is very much the case and just just helping us to flesh out ideas for our listeners of how we can do this if our listeners would like to get in touch with you to follow you to to know what you're up to what is the best way they can do that
2: the best way to find me is on twitter i'm at white wing on twitter And I generally get all, both my phone will light up and my email will light up when somebody (laughs) contacts me there. So it's the easiest way to get me. Awesome.
1: So we encourage you as the listeners to go check out Dungeons & Dragonites. Check out uh, Greg on there, running that game. It's on Twitch. It's on iTunes. Those are both great places that you can go and check out that game.
2: The video captures are on YouTube. So if you can't get to Twitch, you can see them all on YouTube um the podcast uh is downloadable season one is done season 1.5 or the gen con special should be coming up shortly and then season two will be picking up in september
1: so greg thank you so much once again for joining us we hope that you can join us again sometime in the future
2: I would love it. This has been great.
1: So we want to thank Greg once again for joining us on the Dungeon Master's Block. It was a great time having him here, and this was just a fantastic episode. Uh, I really enjoyed talking about all this content about using monsters in a game to capture them, to use them in battle, and to have them be your companions, your friends. It just sounds like an awesome world that can be homebrewed. And Chris, I know you were even saying, maybe I'll do this for my own world. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 a really awesome concept. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, if they would like to get in touch with us to write us an email about uh, their ideas of how to implement this into their homebrew world or just about D&D in general, where can they reach us at?
0: Yeah, you can email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. We would love to hear if you've incorporated this sort of thing into your world. We would love to hear stories about that. So, send us an email there. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Every five-star review gets a shout-out, and it helps people know that we are a good podcast and worth listening to. And you can also find us on Stitcher and Google Play Music and various other podcasting apps if iTunes is not your preferred method of listening to podcasts.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. If you go to either of those places or both of those places, you will find updates about the show, which are always helpful. You will also get D&D memes, which are always hilarious. And we may even throw out there some awesome D&D resources for you to use. So go follow and like both of those places. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to Aaron Aaron Waltrip. Waltrip. Aaron is a silver dragon, so uh, not only is he able to enjoy the bonus podcast that we put out, but he is also able to go onto our forums and give us some insight about uh, what he would love the show to look like in the future. So thank you so much for your support, Aaron we really appreciate it yeah thank you so much Aaron this podcast is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast
0: Network if you would like to find other shows such as Story Arc Podcast and the GM Showcase which are two that are currently out you can go on iTunes and search Block Party Podcast Network and they will all show up right there in front of your face on the screen you can also go to
1: blockpartypodcastnetwork.com and search through all of our web pages there as well. That concludes this episode of The Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing all the characters, and lowering the egos of everyone else at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. Goodbye. That concludes this episode of The Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, lowering the egos of all of the Beastmasters at your table. And. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is killing characters. <laughs> Whatever. I meant, I'm like, wait, that's my line.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and killing all the characters. I feel like you could just leave say. that whole end part in there and it
1: would be perfectly <laughs> fine. It's just like, wait, what? <laughs> What's going on? Oh, it'll probably make its way into a blooper reel. Uh, so. <laughs> probably. Yeah, probably.